Welcome to episode one of a brand new podcast. This is Efficiently Effective, a podcast that focuses on content strategy and user experience for web, apps, basically any platform you can think of. Mostly digital though. I wanted to make a podcast that helps content and UX professionals to keep up to date with what's happening in our field. The idea is to make this a monthly thing to keep it manageable, but who knows, perhaps I can up the frequency at some point, we'll see. So why not start with the hype du jour, conversational user interfaces and chatbots in particular. Oh, and um, just to make sure we're all on the same page here, conversational UI is a user face that helps the user to reach their goals by guiding them through a flow, which kind of resembles a dialogue in some form. A chatbot is a type of conversational UI. It simulates a conversation that should resemble a human-to-human -human conversation to guide the user from their intent, or what they want to do, to their goal. AI, or artificial intelligence, encompasses the broad field of machines exhibiting intelligent behavior. Think of a computer being able to recognize and interpret something and being able to match one piece of data with another, kind of like we do. Conversational UI and chatbots are a form of artificial intelligence. As well as machine learning. This is literally a machine learning from its experiences and using these memories to get better. It remembers what worked and what didn't and uses this data in all of its future processes. This way, it never makes the same mistake twice and appears to be getting smarter the longer it's operational. You will also hear the term deep learning. This is an enhanced method of machine learning. Where machine learning fails because of factors blurring the view, as with a picture of a cat peeking from behind a bush on a foggy day, deep learning algorithms analyze all factors and add them up to complete the whole picture. The way we humans process language is very complex. NLP or natural language processing is a five-step simulation of this process, translating our language into data that the computer can work with. Okay, on with the show. I'll speak with experts who can shed some light on the different aspects that can make or break the success of your chatbot. Our focus is of course on the user experience and content, not too much on the technical aspects. At the end of this episode, you'll have a better understanding of where we are currently at with conversational user interfaces and chatbots, and what it all means, and how you can perhaps implement this for your business, or maybe you shouldn't. And if you have, or if you're going to, how are you going to test your user experience? Let's get started and bring out the experts. Starting with... I'm, uh, I'm Philippe and I'm the founder of Faction XYZ and uh, Faction XYZ is an applied artificial intelligence company. So, where are we now with conversational UI and chatbots? There, there are two answers to this. Uh, the first answer is in terms of where we are technologically and uh, we see a lot of rapid advancements mainly pushed by initiatives by Google or OpenAI or other smaller players as well in startups in the field of natural language processing and natural language generation. So in that respect, the technology is maturing really fast. And we see companies like Google, Microsoft, also API.ai bought by Google and many others actually offering out-of-the-box NLP solutions that work well for broad use cases obviously for very narrow use cases in which you will need to reach very high accuracies the go-to solution there is to build your own nlp engine 
On the other hand, commercially uh, speaking, we see a lot of accidents that are bound to happen because it's only now, uh, you know, that uh, when when you would follow the Gartner hype cycle, mm -hmm. um, well, we're still very much in the upward trend of the hype cycle. What are the terms that you currently use a lot in your daily conversations with prospects and clients? Um, we uh, A year ago, we... Um, for commercial reasons, mm -hmm. obviously, uh, everybody was talking about chatbots. So obviously, we also use the the word chatbots when we approach customers. However, um, we personally do not like that term. Uh, chatbots is uh, is a very narrow product and a very narrow solution. And actually, we prefer to talk about conversational agents or conversational interfaces because chatbots are not only limited to a Facebook Messenger chat or a WhatsApp. Oh, I'm sorry, or a Slack chat. It could equally be an email address or running on Alexa or even just on a website. Uh, other terms we're often using are personal assistants or digital assistants, virtual. Uh, you know. There are many words to indicate one very fluent and conversational way of interacting with software. Personally, we prefer conversational agents. My name is Paul Davies. I'm a software engineer. I'm living in Antwerp, Belgium, and I'm a co-founder of a software company that measures user experience in apps, web, and chatbots called UX Probe. There's a, a renaissance that's happening in chatbots right now, and why is that? Well, okay, there's some innovations in technology that are happening, natural language processing, uh, deep learning, uh, these AI uh, things that are really coming to fruition that are kind of creating a resurgence of chatbots, because, of course, chatbots are not new. They've been around almost as long as computers have existed, but now they're starting to become, well, really interesting, right? But even though all these technologies are the backdrop of what's happening with chatbots, the truth is that the essence of the chatbot is still this, this hard job of a more creative content focused skill set and that's where the user experience is coming from right the technology enables things like uh, it knows that what the nouns and the verbs are in sentences it knows if you're speaking dutch or english uh, it, it it's really handy and helpful and enabling but still it doesn't it doesn't mean the chatbot comes for free and it certainly doesn't mean that a great chatbot comes for free right now it's super super easy to make a very very bad chatbot it's very easy um, and it only takes like literally you just uh, you know you go on the internet you start with uh, IBM or Microsoft or, or Google or one of these, uh, Facebook, and all of a sudden you have a chatbot and it's working and it's like you type in something and then something comes back to you and you're like, oh, it's a chatbot. But then you're like, oh yeah, but okay, now, now it, really ha it has to do something. And it's really hard to generate, well, yeah, something that's really useful. And I mean, it's still a little open like some really great chatbots are coming. Probably maybe maybe there's even some good ones that I, I don't know about, but I think there's just not they're not useful enough, they're not nice enough, they're not yeah, there just there's just not enough there there. Hi, my name is Shura. I'm a UX designer at iCaps. I studied applied linguistics. I think that a lot of companies are just thinking it's hip to have a chatbot, so just let's have one. Not, And they're not really thinking about, do we really need one? Do we have a practical use for a chatbot? And um, there are like 100,000 of, of chatbots around now, and a lot of them are not used because they're just yeah not useful. Okay, that's good. Everyone agrees. There are too many sucky chatbots and bots need to be useful. But... How do you make sure your bot is useful? Many people or companies approach us asking for chatbots while actually don't need, A, perhaps they don't even need a chatbot. Uh, they need something totally different. And B, if they are so convinced that they need a chatbot, they approach a chatbot in a very naive way. How do you mean they approach it in a naive way? 
Well, in a naive way, I mean, they considered it to be like an, an IVR 2.0, like an interactive voice response. Like, you know, when you call a hotline or a support desk, you press 1-4, press 2-4. They approach it in the same way, like mm-hmm. in a very scripted way. And actually, you know, when, when you talk about conversational interfaces, you're actually touching on something that is so natural for humans. I mean, conversing, talking, it is so natural. You cannot actually put this into predefined scripts or, or force somebody to go through a flow. It should be open and it should support a very natural way of interacting with each other. And in this case, with a machine or software. So they approach it in a naive sense as if they would approach it with an interactive voice response, which totally sucks and it doesn't work. Also naive in the sense that they jump on Facebook Messenger and Facebook Messenger has uh, a lot of predefined components like buttons or carousels or others you can use to upgrade your user experience a little and to to guide somebody to a flow but uh, you also require natural language processing and what we often seen was that's where most fail i mean there are like 70 percent of all chatbots out there and i'm not using my numbers i'm using the numbers of my facebook 70 percent of the chatbots that are out there just suck they have no value what makes a useful chatbot First of all, it shouldn't take you longer to do something with a chatbot than with a visual interface. It should answer your questions, uh, of course, and it also should not make you frustrated because that's what a lot of chatbots do right now. How does it make you frustrated? Well, there's not a lot of attention to error handling right now. So if a chatbot doesn't understand you, it will just keep repeating the same sentence all over again. Like, sorry, I did not get that. Sorry, I did not get that. So that's really frustrating. (laughs) There's just these two $1 million questions that you need to ask before you start. One is, do we really need a chatbot for this? And number two is, how is this going to help our users? Realize that every time that you do ask those two questions, you might save your company a lot of cash. And if you don't ask those questions, it might cost your company a lot of cash. So why would you need a bot? And who needs a chatbot? Uh, I think that um, everybody that relies on first-line support, like first-line service desks, they can heavily uh, benefit from chatbots or conversational agents in the sense that what we see at clients that we're serving and sometimes up to 50 or or 60% of the questions that are being handled by support agents are often all in the same topic. Like, what's my order status? Hey, has my package been shipped yet? Has been, And admittedly, for these support agents, it's a very sucky job to, to answer these kind of questions each time. It's like, okay, another one, you know, who lost his pack. But it's very important for the end user to have his questions being answered and, and his, his problem being solved. So, But these are very repetitive, mindless often tasks. And these, these things can be easily replaced with chatbots and not even with very complex ones. Can you tell me a little bit about the process of creating content for conversational UI? For me, that's also still a bit new. Uh, I haven't worked on a lot of chatbots yet, but how I look at it personally is um, I try to make some um, conversations already, some scenarios that can occur. And then I try to add some variables, like if it's, for example, a chatbot that you can use to order movie tickets, then the movie name will be a variable and then the rest of the sentence you can just reuse. So when a user types, I want to buy tickets for a recent movie, Harry Potter, La La Land, the the movie name can be any movie and then the chatbot will still understand that you want to buy movie tickets. 
then basically write down all these scenarios with all the variables and then just start working on it. I use chatbot engines where you can uh, enter intents. So an intent is what the user wants to achieve by uttering a sentence. And then I just convert all these conversation scripts into intents. Do you use flowcharts or mind maps? Yeah, I start indeed with a flowchart uh, where it's more like the, the big outline before I start adding real conversation. Yeah, so just a basic flowchart like introduction, question, answer, and then some error handling on the side, yeah. you know, to have the big idea of the conversation. So I'm Alexis Safaricus. I'm a digital strategist for Springbok Agency. For Bridgestone, we had the chance to work on a persona before. So the idea was to define the bot persona because as it's a completely new technology, people do not know about it. So we see it on the first bot we've launched that it's difficult to get people starting discussing with the bot because they don't know, they don't understand why it's happening. So we were very clear on the fact that it's a bot. So we didn't want to make stake people and say, oh, is it a human or a bot? Uh, so it's clear that it's a bot. It's, we give him some personality because it's also about the wow effect. So we don't want only to show up technical capacities, but also to show that there is something nice and that the bot answer, for example, stupid questions and stuff like that. So we, we, really, we really went into a, like a preparation phase for copy that was considering human language and how can we interpret that human language to give best possible answers. So we, we tried to have, uh, that's a big discussion because we did not involve the customer in the copy. So we, because it's very difficult to show the copy separately from the bot. And as the bot is very lean process of development, you go step by step. It was difficult to show everything to the customer before the bot was finished. So what we did is that we had the first layer of copy, very basic copy, showing the full bot with this basic copy and then seeing with the customer where can we go to make it a bit more fun, to make it a bit more uh, engaging for the customer. And then we start working on that, but the customer is not really implied in, in this process. What we do is that we have copywriters that work on that. So I'm not a copywriter, I'm a strategist. So I work with different people that will bring some creative ideas, some copy themselves and things like that. But now with chat layer, for example, we have more possibilities of directly putting copy in the software and having people from copy side working directly in this software. So they can see also what's the impact on the conversation because that's the most difficult part is when you have a development and a copywriter working together, it's very two different specific profiles that have difficulty sometimes to work together or, or in a simple way. So we try to find a platform and I think chat layer for that is better because we have that possibility to work together on the same tool. So the adagium is true once more. There are no stupid questions. There's just a lot of surprisingly unexpectedly phrased ones. Like, is it going to rain today? Tell me the weather or rain or shine? But for every topic or field, you can define a set of intents. Think of it as frequently asked questions, but translated to something like the user wants to know what the weather will be like in their city. These intents can be distilled from the interaction on your social media accounts and the conversations people at the support desk have with your clients. As you can hear, there's not a one-size-fits-all magic solution when it comes to creating content for chatbots and getting all the conversations in there. I personally like to work with XMind mind maps. Each node with a D has a note with a T containing a little bit of the content from where the conversation could jump to other nodes. The big downside of that is that we can't export the content from the mind map into the UI with a few clicks. It has to be transferred bit by bit. 
quite tedious work. The upside is that we have a good overview of the content while creating the conversation. For my next project, I'm going to try out working with Google Documents. I'll let you know how that goes, but I hear good things. Most chatbots already have pretty decent user interfaces in which we can put in and manage the conversation. And then it's time for the bot to make the magic happen. Or, well, magic. Machine learning and natural language processing is what makes chatbots feel a little bit like magic. By machine learning, we mean that the chatbot learns to make new connections based on its experiences in conversing with us. By giving each bit of input an intent probability score, like I'm 87% sure the user means this by uttering this sentence, it sees and remembers new words and word groups around the ones that it bases its prediction on. So if the user is satisfied with the answer the bot gives on this 87% scored sentence, it stores that information so that next time it can be more sure of its own understanding and give it a higher probability score. Natural language processing is how a computer translates our language into its own. Shura can tell you more about it. So how it works is one part of it is natural language analysis. So the computer needs to analyze the language of, of the human so it can understand it. It, it uh, converts it into data. That's uh, a process that consists of five steps. So the first step is the lexical analysis. Uh, you know, the lexicon of, a, of a, a language is is actually the words and sentences that a language contains. So the computer first needs to see, if you write a text to it, what are the words? So it's, it sees how many sentences are in the text, uh, is there any punctuation, what are the words, what are the adjectives, substantives, and etc. And when it uh, knows that, it goes to the syntactical analysis. And that's actually what you learn at school. What is uh, the subject of the sentence and what is the verb? So it knows uh, the structure of the sentence and it needs that to understand what you are saying. And then the next step is the semantic analysis. It has to do that after the syntactic analysis because a word has multiple meanings. Uh, in a dictionary. So during the semantic analysis, the computer looks at the dictionary meaning of the word and compares that to the syntax of the sentence to know what is the meaning of the word. Then the fourth step is the disclosure integration. Well, that actually means that it will look at the sentences that come before the sentence. Like when we have a conversation, if I refer to something, Mary was walking down the street, she was walking really fast, then you know that she is referring to Mary and that's the disclosure integration. So the computer also has to take that into account to have the context of the sentence. And then the last step is the most difficult one for uh, for a computer, that's the pragmatic analysis. And that is really taking all the information from the previous four steps into account and then reinterpreting what is said and looking at the meaning. And that's really hard for a computer because we as humans, we don't always say what we mean. Like, for example, if you have a guest coming over and you, you tell them there's beer in the fridge, then your guest won't ask, why is he telling me that there's beer in the fridge? I mean, uh, your guest will understand that you mean just take a beer if you want one. And for a computer, that ambiguity is very difficult. Machine learning in general is shit in, shit out. So, And most of the times when your results fail, it's because the entry was wrong. And with the entry, I mean the data was either the integrity was, wasn't good or the diversity wasn't, wasn't good. It takes a lot of time to prepare that training data and the test data. And this is something that sometimes gets overlooked and this results in chatbots not understanding you or failing or whatever. Does that mean that for a certain query, you should write like a hundred variables? Is that how you would do it? 
Yeah, I, and that's that's kind of correct. It's uh, on the first level when we're training the NLP engine actually to to learn how uh, how questions can be asked. For example, this is definitely one way. Most of the times, uh, especially when working on support cases, we can rely on many years of data coming from these service desks and databases. But on the other hand, you also have to train your NLP engine to to you know to gain some semantic understanding about the topic that you're discussing. Uh, and this is data that you need to feed into your NLP engine coming from again from the service desk, but also equally coming from frequently asked questions or product information. So you know just so actually the NLP engine starts to quote and quote understand uh, the semantics of the topic he's 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 supposed to know. So these are the two big fronts that we need to train the NLP engine on. But given that, and that could take quite some time, some trainings can take up to four uh, 4,000 requests a second during two weeks. Uh, others can be trained quite well, a bit more easy. It depends actually on the kind of topic that you want to build your conversational agent on. Yeah. I trained myself first on API.ai, which is an NLP provided by Google, uh, and I thought it was interesting, so we made a proposition for Bridgestone to use that platform, uh, and in fact it's still uh, now using that platform for the bot we are running, but we are moving to ChatLayer uh, because of uh, pricing and limitation from the American company, so it was uh, they went from a scalable pricing, so it was first, I think, a number of messages you can send and it was kind of scalable and now they went from free to 5,000 euro a month so we said nah, and that's not very lean and especially because the customer is already taking a risk so if we ask him to pay 5,000 euro a month for a new tool he will not be very uh, happy about it so we changed to chat layer but I've tested multiple ones I've created both myself using uh, wit.ai using uh, the one from um, ChatFuel so like I tested a lot. What can you say about compatibility for other languages than English? We are in a Dutch-speaking environment here. We have a French-speaking environment very close by, a couple of kilometers away. So um, what can you say about that and the platforms that you've tested? So for the one for Bridgestone, it was easy because it was made to be in English first. But if it's a success, they want to translate it into all the languages. And it's not even Dutch or French. It's Polish or it's Italian. So it's all the European languages. So we have a fine place for that. Uh, for the, um, the other project we went to with uh, ChatLayer because we started another project for uh, Xerus, so a social security company in Antwerp, uh, and it's meant to be only in Dutch, so we had to uh, prepare the conversation in Dutch. So it was a bit of training of the bots, even if we could also play on the fact that we didn't want like a full artificial intelligence more that a kind of an smart flow, or I call it. So not like a bot that can answer everything, it's more about going through the right direction with the bot. So you have defined steps and defined called um, buttons, so you don't need to type everything. So we try to limit the intelligence so we don't have to like train the intelligence with all the language of the Dutch specification and stuff like that. If you know Watson, IBM's Watson, that's a very smart computer. It can interpret a lot of language. But if we're talking about commercial bots, then we're still we still have a long way to go because there's not a lot of real language processing there. It's mostly rule-based chatbots. They just look at what is programmed. Like, okay, I know if a user says this sentence, then I have to answer that one. But they don't really generate language. So we do have the technology to do it, but I don't think we have the resources yet to make it commercially available. After you've got your chatbot up and running, you will want to know how it performs, right? Right? <laughs> so how do you do that? Current platforms don't give you all the info you need. You might want to work together with a third party. 
Yeah, so at UX Pro, we have a system for measuring software. Um, it's good for lots of types of software. We're focusing on user tests now, and right now we're really turning towards chatbot measurement. Um, and so we allow you to measure user success, right? So in chatbots, we talk about intents, not tasks, and, and we want to see how often users are successful with their intents. We measure uh, the user satisfaction with these microsurveys, and we're also helping you find um, the kind of errors that we get in these new type of chatting systems like the uh, missing entities or wrong entities, uh, unrecognized entities, so that you can um, iterate by adding the types of understanding what users are really typing and add them into your system. So yeah, and it's very easy. You can get started in a day and, um, and you could be really learning something the next day. So if you'd like to, I would be happy to tell you about it. <laughs> it sounds also very essential, actually. It's, I was in fact a little bit surprised that that wasn't already standard in the software that people use to build chatbots, but it isn't, as you told me. No, it's true, actually, and I think there's quite a few different ways of, there's there's some different chatbot analytics out there. If you go searching for it, um, you'll find some things, but um, uh, a number of our customers have said, like, oh, yeah, we tried some different chatbots, but then we didn't learn anything that we didn't already know. Um, you know, there's lots of things you can count in the world. I mean, knowing, like, how often the letter A happens in a chat is not useful to making a better chat, eh? I mean, uh, knowing that people are satisfied or happy or knowing, like, yeah, people like to put a comma in in their times, not in the, you know, the, people like to celebrate the days and the months with commas or, or, or the people like to call their, their Mercedes, like they like to misspell Mercedes like this or these things that you just have to learn from people typing and right. this is this is kind of the thing. And that's what a lot of chatbot analytics are not giving you nowadays. But you are. Yes, <laughs> thank you. At UX Probe, we, we've always had the same mission, which was to help people who are building websites or apps or, or other types of software measure the user experience of uh, that thing. Okay, so user experience, it sounds like a very um, soft commodity, like something nebulous, but it's actually possible if you're a pragmatist to measure it very concretely. If I said that user experience was how successful people are with a software and how they felt about that software, then that really encompasses user experience. When you measure those two things, when you know that someone is efficient with a piece of software, that they can get things done, they get them done quickly, and that you know that they are happy, then you then you know it has a good experience. And so that's what we focus on measuring in a very pragmatic way. We talk about tasks, right? We devolve software down into sets of tasks, like I want to send an email. I would like it to have an attachment, you know? Um, and then we, we define these tasks and then we, we test, right? And we test how well people do these things, how how long it takes them, how many mistakes they make during the thing, whether they fail entirely or it, they think they succeeded when they didn't succeed, all these things. In addition to that, we try and measure the user sentiment or the user satisfaction. Yeah, people would hope that ah, somehow sentiment can be just detected, you know, like, oh, but maybe we could measure people's smiliness or uh, I think a lot of these things are maybe someday they'll really be there, but we'll probably live in a very creepy world when they are. Um, but uh, I think nowadays it's just a matter of simply asking people directly, you know. No one likes surveys, people like giving feedback. So those two things are uh, in tension with each other, aren't they? they? They seem like they're in conflict. So the trick is, is that you have to structure the feedback so people want to give it. I always give a classic example of um, in Skype, a software that almost everyone has used. They have a micro survey. It's a one question survey. And the survey, the question is, how was your call? 
great, eh? Now, on the web, we have lots and lots of surveys that we are asked about. Would you mind giving us? And they usually occur about 30 seconds into your visit to the website. Now, if we, if Skype did the exact same thing, they would wait for you to be 30 seconds into the call with your grandmother. Uh, and then they would pop up a thing saying like, hey, how's your call going? And it's like, that would be like, it's so obviously inconsiderate and so disrespectful that no one would do it and they don't do it. And they just pick the right choice, which is they just wait to the end of the call because everyone knows that at the end of call, then it's the in-between moment. They just choose the in-between moment. So when you look for these in-between moments and when you're making something, you know, either as a, a user interaction designer, user experience designer, or as a, a chatbot designer, you know the in-between times, you know like when you can when you can get in there and not be disrespectful. And when you choose these moments, then you can ask a question and you can get, for example, a very high rate of answer. And if it's if it's just a simple, you know, one out of five stars question or um, thumbs up, thumbs down, even simpler, right? Then at this moment, you ask the question like, hey, are you happy? Is this good? Is the chatbot helping you? Yes or no? Then you can take this measurement in the context of the chat or the task that was completed. And then you'll you have a sense of like the user satisfaction in the context of their, their success. And that's the essence of user experience measuring. Um, can you tell us uh, a little bit about uh, privacy and safety? Yeah, okay. So um, UX Probe is a European-based um, company. We're keeping, we keep all of our data in Europe. It never leaves Europe. It's all stored um, in a very, very high security system uh, that's certified, for example, for healthcare data, which is usually the highest level of uh, safety. Um, so we're very concerned about this. We also um, don't store um, user identifiable information. So uh, even though we're measuring chats, um, we're not we're not storing information that's particular or identifiable of users. Um, so that saves you from some worries that like, uh, yeah, we understand. And, and as an individual who uh, also lives with these systems, uh, that the privacy of individuals is super, super important and we don't want to leak this information. Um, so we're, we're very careful with it. What about other aspects like return on investment and the fear of people being replaced by robots? The ROI is like in, in less than six months often. What we do are faced with and confronted with is we're causing social. Um, sometimes there are some, there are some social, uh, I, would, I wouldn't call it unrest because it sounds very uh, panicky. But there are some questions being raised sometimes like do we need to let like five people go now or, or what is the implications for our support desk. Um, but the implications so far have been that A, uh, support agents are actually being retrained actually as NLP trainers. They are actually becoming the people we re rely on to correct the NLP engine and actually to make sure that the NLP engine continues to become increasingly smarter. And B, they get their hands free to, to stop dealing with these mindless questions and start dealing with questions and helping the clients in ways that they wouldn't be able to do so before. So actually, the, the quality of their job improves. Yeah, and the quality of service increases. So. I think there's a, there's a lot of wins there, uh, but it does require a company with some vision and guts to actually do this because the easiest way out would, of course, be to, okay, let's fire a bunch of people, which is also a very naive short-term way of thinking. Now, this, of course, is a delicate subject and a little too difficult to get into in one podcast. I would suggest you give a listen to Freakonomics and How Safe Is Your Job. You can find the link to this podcast on efficientlyeffective.fm in the show notes of this episode. Um, would you like to make a little prediction for like where we might be in 
five years or 10 years or where maybe you would like us to be in five or 10 years? I think the next five years will be predominantly be NLP will predominantly be used for um, automating support tasks, which is not a very sexy business to be in, but a very lucrative and a very, very operationally beneficial business to be in. Exposing this kind of intelligence to the uh, consumers is going to seep into our lives the same way like AI is already in our lives without us really knowing it. It's not going to be a revolution rather than an evolution, I think. I think the problem now is that it's quite difficult to have standard approach for all the bots. It's really, and I read a lot about verticals, so for having like experiences focusing on very specific topics, and that's what we try to do. And I think that's why as a strategist for an agency, it's better to work with specific customers and specific needs. Um, and I think that will be the idea. And for me, the big next step is how to use more data to leverage bots, because I think copy-wise and, and conversational-wise, we have interfaces, so we have chats, we have even voice, you can use voice. Uh, I think the idea now is how to feed that bots with more data so we can get more uh, relevant message and more contextual message, because that's, for me, that's what a bot is meant to do, is, is able to give the best answer at the best moment without a request from the user. So it's really about getting data from different places and give one simple answer to the user. There you go, it's a lot of work and we've only just scratched the surface of it. Which means it's all the more important to ask those two questions. Do we really need a chatbot and how will it help our users? Because this one's so easy to get wrong and to actually harm your overall user experience. Talk to specialists about this and work together. Um, I'm not sure where we have to place the chatbots in our um, line of work like who is the expert on this are we the UX designers the experts or is a developer the expert or are other people experts like a novelist or screenwriters or comedians even if you know uh, howdy there's that's also a, a slack bot they have worked with a comedian to give a personality to the bot yeah. so i think that's a really interesting idea to to work with comedians they know how to work with language how to influence an audience they know how people react on on language so i think there's a, a great opportunity there to work to cooperate with other people uh, that work with language i personally feel that this is one of the kind of projects that are typical team efforts yeah, I think so. That's, it's really a joint effort yeah. to make the best out of it and get everyone's expertise on it. Yeah, I think so too. This concludes the very first episode of Efficiently Effective. Woohoo! Perhaps you've learned some things from it. But anyway, please let me know what you think. You can find our website at efficientlyeffective.fm and our Twitter handle is EffectivePod. You can also rate this podcast on iTunes. Ooh, I never thought I would say that. Well, anyway, thanks for listening and spreading the word. Also, a big thanks to Philip Martens at Faction XYZ, Shura Rucheman at iCaps, Alexis Safarakis at Springbok, and Paul Davis at UX Probe. You can find links to their profiles on efficientlyeffective.fm in the show notes of this episode. Also, thanks to Sanders Polspool for editing and technical help and mental support. Creative Commons licensed music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Efficiently Effective is a production by the Duchess.